Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week's parasha, as we read it in Israel, is Parashat Beha'alotecha. And Parashat Beha'alotecha uh, is really a two-part parasha. Uh, there is the first section of the parasha, we'll talk about it in greater detail, uh, but the first part of the parasha is a continuation of uh, what we've uh, been seeing in the first section of the book of uh, Bamidbar, by which I mean the uh, building up of uh, organization of the camp uh, and everything related to it, uh, so that B'nai Israel can prepare themselves for the entry, the transition to the land of Israel and starting their life there. Uh, the second part of the parasha we'll see is indeed very, uh, indeed very tragic. Uh, so there is a, uh, a major pivot, a, ma- a major turn that happens in the course of this parasha, uh, and that pivot leading to tragedy uh, will lead us to the unfortunate latter part uh, of. Sefer Bamidbal, uh, in which it will be decreed on B'nai Yisrael that they must remain in the desert uh, for an extended period of time, but more about that uh, in next week's parasha. So the first part of the parasha, um, and I should say that the totality of the parasha can be divided up into uh, ten sections. Uh, the first, the first section, uh, has to do with the lighting of the menorah. Uh, it's a repeat of the instructions uh, to be given to uh, the Kohanim. Here it's given to Aaron. Uh, that every day the menorah is to be lit in the Mishkan. And uh, this is something that we've known before. Uh, one of the points that is uh, mentioned here that uh, was not mentioned earlier is that the uh, outer lamps, the six uh, lamps of the menorah, three on each side, uh, must be turned towards the central uh, lamp. Uh, and there's a repeat of the way the menorah is, is to be made. Uh, in a sense, this is a continuation of what we had in last week's parasha, the various offerings brought by the different uh, leaders of the tribes, and this is the, shall we say, contribution of the Kohanim, namely the daily lighting of the menorah. The next section uh, talks about the Leviim, specifically how the Leviim uh, are to be uh, prepared for and ushered into their service. Uh, We're told that uh, in order to prepare the Leviim for service, they have to be purified using the ashes of the paraduma, the red heifer, that is to say to purify them from uh, any contact with the dead. Uh, their entire body is shaved. Uh, offerings are given uh, of two bulls, one of, uh, in the form of a chatat, sin offering, and the other in the form of an ola, a burnt offering. Uh, there's the laying of the hands uh, onto the uh, levim, uh, and also the waving of the levim. And in this way, the levim uh, are to be ushered into the uh, service of uh, of the Mishkan, they will assist the uh, the Kohanim, and then uh, we are told that they begin the service. Um, they they begin the service. 
they are to, uh, in essence, take the place of the firstborn. Remember, originally the firstborn was going to be the group of people that would serve in the Mishkan, but after the uh, sin of the golden calf, that privilege was taken from them and given to the one tribe that did not participate in the worship of the golden calf, namely the, Nevi- the Levine. And uh, in the wilderness, we are told that they uh, serve from the age of 25 till the age of uh, 50. The next section, uh, which uh, continues Parashat Baalokha, is given a date. Uh, it is it is just before the first anniversary, shall we say, of the Exodus. Remember, the uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim happened on the uh, 14th, on the 15th, actually, of uh, of the month of Nisan. Uh, and now, um, in anticipation of this first anniversary, uh, Hashem uh, instructs Moshe to instruct B'nai Yisrael that they are to bring a Korban Pesach in the wilderness. Uh, this isn't uh, necess- this isn't talking about an entire seven day Pesach, but uh, Pesach uh, holiday. Uh, but it is talking about bringing the Pesach sacrifice, and that is brought on the fourteenth day of the month, uh, what we call Erev Pesach, the fourteenth day of the first month, that month which is known as Nisan, and this is in the second year. As I said it's essentially the first anniversary after the Exodus, um, and so this instruction is given. However. Uh, some people approach Moshe. These are men who are Timeim. They have come in contact with the dead. Uh, and uh, they uh, will not be able to bring the Korban Pesach. And they don't uh, have the ability to purify themselves in time. And uh, they approach Moshe and uh, they say, well, why should we be excluded from this? This is something that uh, affects everybody. It's, uh, we all went through the Exodus. We, uh, it was only a year ago. We all remember it. Um, why should we be uh, excluded? Now, they weren't asking for a change in the halakha, but they were asking for an opportunity to bring the uh, Korban Pesach some way. And Moshe says uh, to wait for Hashem's answer. And the answer comes in the form of the uh, details of something called Pesach Sheni, uh, second Pesach, or second opportunity for the Korban Pesach. And the rule is that if someone is Tameh, for example, or uh, too far away from the uh, from the place of offering the sacrifice, that is to say the Mishkan or the Temple, Jerusalem when it will be built, uh, at the time of Pesach, specifically the 14th day of the first month, so they have an opportunity to bring the Korban uh, one month later, on the 14th day of the second month, the month that we call uh, Iyar. And it has all of the rules of the Pesach sacrifice. It's eaten with matzah, it's eaten with uh, maror. Um, and uh, the Torah reminds us that if someone has the opportunity to bring the Korban Pesach, uh, they're not invalid, uh, but they do not do so. Uh, so the punishment for this is very severe. Uh, the punishment known as uh, cutting off, uh, karet. Uh, and it's important to point out that there aren't too many examples. There really is only one other example of a positive mitzvah, uh, which is punished by karet for non-fulfillment. Most other cases of karet are for violating a prohibition. 
This is for not fulfilling an obligation. The other that is like this is Brit Milah. person is not circumcised uh, and chooses not to be circumcised even when he is old enough to have it done. Uh, so such a person suffers this punishment as well. Um, and so uh, we are told that B'nai Yisrael observed the Pesach on this first anniversary uh, of the of the Exodus. The next section uh, talks about how B'nai Israel were to travel uh, in the the desert. Uh, they're told that when the uh, when the Mishkan was set up, the cloud of divine presence would uh, would cover the the Aron, uh, would cover the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. Uh, it would be a cloud by day and fire by night. And the cloud of Hashem would show uh, when and where to travel. It would indicate to them uh, when it's time to to move and where they are to go. Uh, and so they always knew uh, when it was time to move from one place to another. And uh, no matter how long the cloud indicated that they were supposed to remain in one place uh, or how short a time, uh, they were always obedient uh, to these um, instructions as provided by the movement of uh, of the cloud. Uh, what follows this uh, is also connected to the travels, and that is that Hashem tells Moshe to fashion for himself, and this is something that was particular to Moshe, uh, a pair of silver trumpets uh, that are to be made uh, for the purpose of signaling to the people uh, various uh, events that uh, they need to know about. Um, one, uh, if it's time to assemble the entire people, uh, so how to blow the, the trumpets, uh, assembly of the camp, assembly of the leaders, and also for the traveling um, and how they were to uh, uh, they were to to travel. Uh, the east, the south, the Kohanim blow the trumpets, uh, and so on. In, in, in what direction, uh, in what order, the various uh, camps within the major camp of Israel uh, were to uh, assemble themselves and get themselves ready. The Torah further says that the Kohanim blow, are the ones to blow the trumpets, and uh, they're also to be blown uh, when there is uh, danger. For example, when there's war, blow the trumpets so that they will be remembered before Hashem, and this actually is the basis uh, for the mitzvah, that when the Jewish people are in trouble, uh, we are to uh, cry out to Hashem for help. Uh, we may not have those trumpets, uh, per se, uh, but uh, we can use prayer. And this is the basis of the idea to pray to Hashem in times of trouble. Uh, but also the trumpets are to be used on festive occasions, and we know from the uh, from the Beit HaVikdash, that there were trumpets, not the same trumpets, those were special to Moshe, but other, uh, other trumpets uh, that were blown on festive occasions as well. So after the instructions for how the travel was to take place, as well as the instructions about how to use the uh, trumpets for that purpose, uh, we are told that B'nai Yisrael actually uh, begun, began to travel after being uh, at Har Sinai, uh, for uh, uh, for nearly a year, uh, on the twentieth day of the second month, that is the month of Iyar, uh, which means that not only is the first anniversary of Pesach, but also the 
first opportunity for Pesach Sheni, that's behind them. On the 20th day of the second month is uh, when the cloud uh, began to move and B'nai Yisrael uh, traveled in accordance with uh, the way they were instructed. And uh, we find out all the tribes in order, led by their leaders, the Mishkan taken down and carried. Uh, so we have a, a, a picture of uh, B'nai Yisrael uh, acting in unison, acting in obedience to Hashem's uh, will. Uh, this projects a very good uh, future for how they would uh, make the rest of the journey to the land of Israel uh, and how they would organize their lives in the land of Israel, creating this new society. That seems to be the way uh, it, it is going to be. Uh, Moshe speaks to Chovav, uh, who is his uh, who is his relative by marriage. Uh, Chazal say that Chovav is another name for Yitro, so this is his uh, father-in-law, and he says, uh, you should come along with us. Uh, but Chovav says, no, I will return to my people, and he goes, uh, he decides that he's going to go back to his people in order to make uh, his people, uh, the Midianites, know about uh, the existence of one God, uh, not necessarily to become part of the Jewish people and accept all of the mitzvot, but certainly to commit themselves to uh, to Hashem and uh, we would say to the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach as they begin to travel in the next section um, we, are, we are told that the Aron the Ark that carried the, uh, the Luchot uh, traveled a, a distance of three days journey ahead of them and we're also taught that this uh, prepared the road for them uh, making everything uh, flat and possible for them to travel without difficulty. And we are told that Moshe uh, uttered, composed uh, special prayers, one for the movement of the Aron and one for the encampment of the Aron. These uh, prayers of Moshe uh, are enclosed within two inverted letters, Nun, uh, which suggests that this uh, section, just uh, or just two verses are uh, set off uh, for from the uh, from the rest of the reading, and uh, it would seem that it's after this point that we begin the um, how shall we say downward spiral uh, of B'nai Israel. Because right after this, uh, we are told that the people uh, in their travels begin to complain. Um, they, they, the first complaints are general complaints. Uh, and there is a fire that burns uh, at the edge of the camp, and that's a warning from Hashem uh, to be careful about complaining. And then they speak uh, even more uh, pointedly about their craving for meat. Um, they, they do not have meat. Um, there is a, a, a craving that's expressed by the mixed multitude, the Erevrav, those people who uh, caught a ride and left with B'nai Yisrael, but they weren't part of B'nai Yisrael. Uh, and uh, because they hadn't gone through as much as B'nai Yisrael had, uh, as slaves and uh, and so on, uh, their commitment was not uh, nearly as, uh, uh, as strong. Uh, and so they're the first ones to express their craving for meat, and then this affects the Israelites themselves, and Moshe complains 
that it would be difficult for him to continue leading the people uh, this way. Uh, Hashem's uh, response to Moshe uh, with a multi-tiered uh, response. First, he says to Moshe uh, that in order to help you in your leadership, uh, select 70 elders. They will receive the spirit of, uh, of prophecy, prophecy. They will receive the ability to receive um, uh, to receive prophecy, and they will uh, lead together with you. Uh, the instruction to the people is to prepare to receive meat uh, for a month, and Moshe expresses amazement uh, that this will be possible, uh, because after all, uh, B'nai Israel seem to uh, have an unquenchable uh, desire uh, for whatever they, it is they want, and in this case, it is meat. Um, and so Hashem does provide them uh, with uh, meat uh, in the form of uh, a bird called, uh, in Hebrew it's called Slav, in English it's usually translated as quail. Hashem says to Moshe, despite your amazement, now you will see what I will do. Uh, and 70 elders are chosen. There are two uh, who named Eldad and Medad um, who uh, may have been candidates, but they... Uh, excluded themselves and they remain in the camp uh, and so they do receive uh, some ability to to speak prophecy and uh, Yehoshua Moshe's uh, closest student and assistant uh, is very uh, upset uh, that these two people are in the camp and uh, and speaking prophecy uh, and Yehoshua wants uh, them to be stopped the word that Yehoshua uses could be translated as stop them, imprison them, or destroy them. And Moshe uh, responds by saying, are you jealous for my sake? I would be very happy if all of B'nai Israel were to become uh, prophets, not just uh, these two. And so Hashem provides the, uh, the slav, the quail. Uh, but uh, because the people uh, pounce on the quail with such gluttony, and it's clear that they don't even trust Hashem uh, to provide them with as much meat as he said they w- uh, he would. Uh, he said it would be for a month. So uh, many, many people die, uh, and this uh, place is called Kivrota Ta'ava, the uh, graves of, uh, of yearning or of lust, uh, not the proudest moment of, uh, of B'nai Israel. Uh, they continue traveling uh, to Chatzerot, but they have been uh, uh, suffering at uh, Hashem's displeasure because of the uh, because of the way they've been uh, behaving. In the very last section of the parasha, we see that a certain breakdown uh, within the society uh, has even affected the leadership, specifically. Uh, Moshe's sister and brother. Uh, Miriam and Aharon are speaking about Moshe's marriage uh, and uh, in the course of this, and of course they're, they're speaking behind Moshe's back, which is uh, ter- definitely not appropriate, in the course of having this criticism of uh, Moshe's behavior, um, uh, Miriam says, uh, God speaks to us also. Um, you know, we, we have something to say as well. And Hashem punishes them. Um, part of Hashem's punishment is a reprimand to Miriam and to Aharon, saying Moshe is unique. Uh, 
uh, and therefore uh, his behavior is completely acceptable. And uh, it is discovered that Miriam has tzarat. Uh, Aaron pleads for uh, from Moshe to do something, and Moshe prays on her behalf. And uh, Hashem instructs uh, Moshe uh, that Miriam has to remain outside the camp for seven days. Uh, and uh, the great kindness is that the people wait for her uh, until at the very end of the parasha uh, they continue their journeys and they come to uh, the wilderness of Paran. It's a very uh, jam-packed parasha, we may say, uh, which uh, has this uh, pivotal moment. The beginning of the parasha, things seem, seem to be going very, very well. Uh, and then, unfortunately, things begin to uh, fall apart uh, with the people expressing their uh, their doubts and the doubts even uh, affecting uh, Moshe's own relatives. I want to return uh, to an insight about the uh, Pesach Sheni. Uh, we're told that uh, in the second year, it's been one year since the Exodus, um, the first month, Presumably, sometime at the beginning of that month, Hashem tells ben, uh, Moshe to tell Bnei Israel to bring the Korban Pesach in its appropriate time. That's on the 14th day of the month, what we call Pesach Shein, uh, Pes- uh, Erev Pesach. Uh, it's going to be in the afternoon, and they have to uh, bring it according to all of the regulations, um, and so on. And so Moshe informs Bnei Israel that they must do this, uh, and so they do. Uh, on the 14th day of the first month, the month we call Nisan, uh, they bring the Karban, uh, and they, uh, in, in accordance with all of the rulings. Uh, but what follows, as I mentioned earlier, is a group of people who are Tameim, uh, who, uh, because of their complaint, uh, are taught about Pesach Sheni, a second chance, if we may, uh, of, uh, of fulfilling uh, this very, very important mitzvah. The Ramban discusses this uh, this passage at great uh, length, and I have the Ramban uh, reprinted on the uh, source sheet, which I uh, uh, recommend that you uh, look at. It's got a translation as well. Um, one point, the, the first point that the Ramban makes is it's very clear uh, from this passage that uh, the principle of the rabbis uh, as, as spelled out is that there is no mukdam mu'uchal there is no earlier and later in the Torah in other words the events of the Torah are not necessarily in chronological order um, after all at the very beginning of the book of uh, Bamidbal uh, the first census is dated on Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the second month. Now we have a passage here, uh, which is uh, well into uh, the book of Bamidbal, which takes place in the beginning of the first month. So obviously this is out of order, and the truth is, there is no strict chronological order. Very often we have events told out of chronological order. Um, The issue that the Ramban deals with next is why. Why is it the Torah chooses to uh, to tell these uh, events not in their uh, linear chronological order? 
So uh, for this, he explains his thesis for what this book of Bamidbar is all about. Um, and as the name uh, says, Bamidbar in the wilderness, he says that that's really what Bamidbar is mainly about. It's about the wilderness. Um, many of the mitzvot in this uh, book are uh, particular to that time, how they organize the camp and so on. And what he wanted is that, uh, what Hashem wants is that everything that is related uh, to the Mishkan and how it's to be functioned, uh, that all that happens in the wilderness. And that's where we have all of the, uh, certainly the first part of the book of Bamidbar, uh, the flags and the uh, organization of the tent and the position of the ministers and uh, the divisions of the Levim and uh, how the Mishkan is to be carried. This is all about the life in the in the wilderness, um, and as long as they were in the wilderness, this is the way uh, that they were to uh, function. Um, so all of that uh, really began, um, uh, really ended um, you know, on the first day of uh, of Nisan, uh, because uh, what comes next, uh, what's supposed to come next, is. Uh, the Passover sacrifice, uh, which is really a, a beginning of the next phase, which is going to be entering the land of, uh, of Israel. Because, as the Ramban points out, um, quoting the rabbis, the uh, of course, Pesach was observed in Egypt, because that was the commandment, and the uh, goal was Pesach to be observed only once they would enter the land. Um, this observance of Pesach in the desert, uh, in the second year, the first anniversary of the Exodus, this was a one-time occasion. This was the only time after the Exodus and before the entry to the land that they uh, were meant to observe the Korban Pesach. They weren't supposed to do it every year after that, uh, until they were to enter the land, which, I should point out, was supposed to be in that second year. Um, they were going to have Pesach, uh, as we see later on in the parasha, in the, uh, in the middle of the second month they begin to travel, and uh, as we'll see later on in the book of Bamidbal, the intention was for them to enter the land uh, very soon after that. Um, but, as we know, uh, events uh, did not turn out that way, and that's because of the major sin that we'll learn about later on uh, in the book of Bamidbar, the sin of the spies. But this uh, Passover sacrifice in the desert really was supposed to be a, a one-time event. Um, the Ramban uh, discusses how, um, based on the mitzvot of the Korban Pesach, uh, one can only bring the Korban Pesach if one was uh, circumcised and indeed if all of one's children and servants uh, were circumcised as well. Um, and uh, that was uh, that was possible at this time because when they left Egypt they were uh, circumcised and the connection between the Korban Pesach and circumcision is explained at, uh, at great length. Uh, he wants, God wants them to bring the Korban Pesach uh, in this, the beginning of this second year uh, in order to make this uh, a memory for the future. Uh, it's not enough to, uh, to celebrate 
the Exodus at the time of the Exodus, but in order to incorporate it into the collective memory of the people and make it part of the calendar, uh, it has to be observed at least this one time uh, after the uh, Exodus, one year after the Exodus, and this would uh, make sure that the memory would uh, would remain, and they would remember all of the miracles that Hashem uh, did for them in Egypt during the Exodus and uh, and beyond. Um, so it sounds like uh, bringing the Korban Pesach uh, was not meant to be observed outside of the land of Israel, or not to be observed outside of the land of Israel until they enter the land of Israel. Uh, the rabbis further say that uh, during the years that they ended up having to live in the desert because of the sin of the, uh, of the spies, uh, throughout that time they didn't bring the Korban Pesach, and there's some discussion as to why not. One could be uh, because there was no specific command uh, given. The other is uh, that as children were born in the desert, uh, those children could not be uh, circumcised, uh, because they never knew when they were going to be called upon to travel from one place to the other, and that traveling would be dangerous for the child. So any children that were born during the years that they were in the desert, as it turns out, 40 years in the desert, uh, none of them were circumcised, and therefore they could not uh, have the Korban Pesach uh, brought uh, by their uh, by their parents. Um, so the tragedy of B'nai Israel is that because of their sin, they had to remain in the desert for much longer, uh, as a result of which they couldn't bring the Korban Pesach again because there were children born who could not be circumcised. And uh, this is a tragedy. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a real shame that, uh, that because of their sins... Uh, this uh, one time in the desert, uh, which was supposed to be the other time, the only time, and by the next Pesach they were supposed to already be in the land. Uh, that's not the way things uh, turned out. There is a discussion at the Ramban sites as well uh, whether not being circumcised uh, would prevent one from uh, from bringing the korban Pesach. Uh, definitely, so it's. It's not, uh, it's not unequivocal. Uh, but the Ramban uh, says that he thinks that that's the more appropriate uh, interpretation, the more, more appropriate uh, idea, um, that uh, the real tragedy is uh, they observe this one Pesach that we read about in this parasha, and the next parash, the next year, they should have been already in the land of Israel, uh, but they, uh, but they could not be, because of their, uh, because of their sins. So we have three different frameworks in which the korban pesach uh, was brought: one in Egypt, one in the desert, a one-time event, and one starting from the time that they entered the land. That's what's called pesach ledorot for all future generations. I thank you very much for joining me in this exploration uh, of this week's parasha, Parashat Beha'alotacha. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parasha Highlights and Insights saying Shalom.